0: few weeks ago, Pastor Scott called me and asked me if on this Sunday, I could give the morning message, the service. And I said, yes. So, here I am. I believe great things are going to happen this morning. I had a preacher one day preach about the most powerful moment Is now. It's not yesterday. It's not last week. It's not tomorrow. It's not next month. But it's now. Because at this very moment, I can make a choice on what to do. I can make action. I can do something. I can't do it tomorrow. I don't know what tomorrow is going to be like. I can't do it yesterday because yesterday is past. But at this very moment, the next 20 minutes, 30 minutes, one hour, I can make a choice in the direction in which I am going to go. The Bible talks about Paul and Silas being in jail. Their hands and legs tied up in a very difficult situation. There's nothing I can do they could do, you would think. But it talks about how they were singing and praising God in jail, in a dungeon, a dark, sad place. Imprisoned, not for doing something bad, but for preaching the word of God. And we see the miracle that came out of that. They had a choice. They could feel sorry for themselves, They could be angry at God, but no, they did something else. They worshipped him. Amen? Amen. Amen? Amen. I'm going to speak today on the topic, always ready, always being ready. In... In the book of Second Timothy, chapter 4, verse 1 to 2, Paul writes, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearance and his kingdom. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. Paul was writing to a young man, a young minister, and he was telling him to always be ready in season and out of season. There are some times when things may not line up for us, but we are still expected to be ready. We have to be ready when we are in season, and we are to be ready when we are out of season. We do not have a choice in that. The Christian life has been compared to warfare. Paul writes in Ephesians that, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And spiritual warfare requires us to have spiritual solutions. In any contest where there are different sides fighting, one of the main elements used is that of surprise and disguise. In, the military, in military warfare, they have different methods of deception, diff- different methods of camouflage, tools, decoys, and other techniques to hide their plans and their capabilities. By using the element of surprise, you hope to score a victory against your enemy. We see that even in sports where different teams may use disguises. They may use um, deceptive techniques in order to prevent the other side from knowing what they're going to do. And then use surprise in order to win. That's the same thing with being a Christian. We are living according to the teachings of God. But our enemies, Satan, will hide. And he will try to disrupt us. He will try to use a disguise. He may come through a friend. He may come through an enemy or through strangers. He may come in the form of new ideas that they bring up something to help us. But we have to be able to know, to look behind the disguise. And in that way, we are victorious. Amen. 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 Now, there are several elements, as Paul um, wrote. It is spiritual in nature. Because he calls it spiritual warfare. It is disguised. Because he talks about overcoming the wiles of the devil. What does the wiles mean? The wiles means his tricks. It means um, his deception. And we have to be able to expose that. We have to be able to know that. And when we do that, we are able to be victorious. And two, we have to have a well-rounded approach. He says, put on the whole armor of God. We need to put on the whole armor, not only partly, but use a holistic approach. Take all the tools that we need, all the protections that we need in order to be victorious. Today, I'm going to speak about three means by which we can have victory. I'm going to talk about the Word of God, which is the Bible. I'm going to talk about prayer. I'm going to talk about fleeing from temptation. Reading and studying the Bible is foundational to the Christian work. It is by studying the Bible that we know about God, we know who he is, what his relationship is with us, and what his expectations are. When we learn the entire Bible, we grow in him, and as we know him, we are able to do what pleases him, and it Our relationship with him grows. And it is by these teachings, following these teachings, that we find completion. It is through the Bible that we are complete. Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy, God states what he expects of his people. He wants us to put the Bible at the center of our lives. Um, If we read in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1 and 6 to 8, now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess. He was getting ready to give to them instructions. And what were they supposed to do with it? They are supposed to observe it, to follow it. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house. When you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and of your gates. Amen. That is the role that God wants his word to play in our lives. It is supposed to be in every area. Number one, he says we should teach it to our children. So this is not for adults only. But even as a young child, we can start learning. Amen. I became a Christian as an adult. But for most of my childhood, I went to Christian schools. So I learned the Bible. And when I look back, the knowledge that I learned as a child was so helpful that I already, when I gave my life to the Lord, I already had a head start it was not unfamiliar territory of course i still had to be instructed in some areas but it's to be taught to children and you shall talk about it when you sit in your house so you're hanging around the house this is what the bible says i'm not i didn't make this up he says you should be talking about it when you sit in your house amen When you walk by the way, you're walking down the road, going to the market. That's probably what they did in those days. Today, probably when you're driving, you're in traffic. He says, we are supposed to be talking about the Bible. Riding the train, he wants us to read the Bible. He says, when you lie down and when you rise up, in the morning and in the evening, he wants us to talk about his word. This is somewhat extensive. He says, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. In the Jewish community, they had the practice of actually binding the word of God in their hands and in their forehead. And as many um, Bible experts have explained, This passage referred to having the Bible guide our work because we work with our hands. So when we work, the Bible should be our guide. Whatever we do with our hands, in the workplace, in the house, in the home, what we think and how we look at the world should be through the lens of the word of God. It's all around. And that is what he expects us to do. That is the standard that he has set for us. This may sound extreme, but when we look at how we practice today, for example, the role that social media plays in our lives, and we think, oh, we can do that. If it is, you know, a singing cat or other kind of entertainment, I can look at that all day, morning and evening, daytime, in the house. It's so easy. But that perhaps is what God wanted us to do, that the Word of God should play in our lives. Amen. 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 And in someone, Chapter 1, it describes the righteous man and what kind of life and what kind of priorities he has. And it says in verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. That's what's on his mind, the righteous man. Day and night, every free moment he has, he's thinking about it. I remember um, when I was in college, we had a professor and, you know, he would talk about some difficult problem. And then, somehow, nobody could figure out he couldn't. The next day, he would come say, you know, last night, I was thinking about this problem. And I think it's like this and like this and like this. And I think to myself, I wasn't thinking about this problem. Yeah. <laughs> He actually took those things seriously and everybody would be staring. But that's what his love was. You know, he thought about it in his free time. He thought about it at night, he's lying in bed, he's trying to solve it and the next day he has a solution. But that's what the word of God should be to us. Amen. Amen. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, "Your word I have your word I have hidden in my heart." that I might not sin against you. It's hidden in him. By being always um, filled with the word of God, it becomes a part of us. It is hidden in us. Why? So that I might not sin against you. Because he, had, he has now guidance. He knows right from wrong. So the scriptures is what will lead us to where God wants us to be. Now, some will say, oh, that is easier said than done. And it's been found many Christians actually have a difficulty um, understanding the Bible. The knowledge of the word of God is not as widespread as um, you would think. And there are several um, different m- methods that can help us. Today, the Bible is in many different translations. Many of these have been m- made to make it more understandable. There are more con- contemporary languages, there are dramatizations. There are reenactments. There are movies. that Many different ways. Different versions. All of this is to encourage us to read the word of God. But at the end of it, we still have to know it. What do I do? How can I read the word of God more? It sounds daunting. You pick a book and open it is strange. The characters are strange. The stories may not make sense to me. For someone here, you know, say like in this local assembly, one go- a good place to start would be with our GROW classes, which is an introductory um, class that is um, run here every month for new people. Those who, you know, want to get um, started in the Christian work. Very simple, very straightforward, and that's a good way to be started. It is important to know, you know, where the Bible came from. And that helps us also to, not only to understand, but to appreciate where, what, what it means. How did it get that way? Why is it so easy? Or why is it so difficult? If you, we look at the texts of the Bible, we'll see that there are many different, um, different types of books include, included in it. We see historical records. We see government records. We see laws and regulations. Like in Deuteronomy, we see prayers and songs, ethics, teachings on morals, on wisdom, letters of instruction, of encouragement, of warnings. They are all in there. So originally, they were written to a specific audience. So when we read the letters of, say, Paul the Romans. It was a letter of Paul to a particular church. When we read the Revelation, it was a letter to the seven churches in Asia. So those were real letters to real people or real congregations or real churches. So it was addressed to specific, intervie- specific groups of people. Some of them were simply historical records, a record of what happened to a particular kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, and um, its history. And then you have government regulations. Few people would read that for pleasure, but those were the, the laws: do this and do that, and do this and do that, and te- technically technical definitions. It's almost like today's, you'd say, code of federal regulations, the laws of the federal government. Few people would read that for pleasure. But they are important because when we end up in problems, that is what is used to judge us. Or the laws, the court of Maryland, the laws of the state. If we violate it, we'll get in trouble with the state. So we still have to know it. Though it's difficult. Then we have many our prayers and songs. Psalms, many of those are prayers. Many of these are actual songs. And we have many teachings on ethics, good and bad, morals, Wisdom, how to make decisions, and things like that. So, knowing that, it can help us how we can read the Bible. I find that it's helpful to start with the New Testament. Now, the whole Bible is the Word of God, so no part is less important than another but if i'm getting started in reading then the gospels is more of a narrative and it's easier to keep pace with that the psalms the proverbs the direct teachings so they are also easier to follow with that but what is important is that we read it regularly And what is important is that it becomes a part of us. And in that way, it is engrafted in us. When we do that, we will grow in him. We will know what God wants us to be. There are many um, Bible reading plans. Um, You can find them online at different places. Some lead you from the beginning to the end. If you read so much a day, you will eventually re- read the end of the Bible. Others mix it up, take a little from the beginning, a little from the middle, and a little from the end. Uh, different methods. I can't say which is better or which is worse. But regular reading is probably um, the key here. Another important practice that can help us is joining a Bible study life group. Over the years, we have had um, different life groups here um, on studying a particular aspect of the Bible, maybe a particular book on the Bible. This is helpful because we get to maybe ask questions, you get to interact, to discuss and among you know friends and people we are familiar with. I can't say enough about the importance because that is how we will uh, it grow. We will read it and we will support one another. We may think, well, there is no Bible study life group. Start one. Start one. I cannot lead a Bible study. Maybe there's someone who can. You just, just make the right connections. You can still host it. Someone else may lead it. And before you know it, you are leading it yourself. But a life group, that is also another important way in which we can grow in the Word of God. Another element in our spiritual warfare is prayer. Prayer is essentially talking to God and letting him know our wants, our needs. God loves us. He wants us to have a relationship with him. And the way we have that relationship with him is through prayer. How does he want us to pray? Jesus actually... taught his disciples to pray. He taught them by example. And he also taught them the Lord's Prayer. In Luke chapter 11, verse 1 and 4, he was praying in a certain place, and when he ceased, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And from then he gave them um, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The Lord's Prayer is more of a template. It's more of a guide that tells us what we should pray about and what is important. And in the Lord's Prayer, he also talks, we see in verse 4, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We have to pray against temptation. We have to pray for victory over temptation. And regular prayer will give us power to overcome the enemy. Too often, we are already under attack. By then, it's almost impossible to pray. Jesus prayed, actually, for his disciples that they would be strong and that they would withstand temptation. In Luke chapter 22 verse 31 to 32. And the Lord said Simon, Simon indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me strengthen your brethren. Satan has asked that he should attack Peter But Jesus had prayed for him. Jesus prayed for victory over temptation, but he prayed for his disciples. We read in just before he died, just before the crucifixion, before he was arrested, Jesus faced the most difficult hour of his life. How did he face it? Through prayer. Throughout most of his ministry, he would preach by the day, but in the evening, he would go out in a quiet place and pray. And it wasn't very different the night before he was arrested. He went out to pray. He took his disciples with him. In Luke 22, verse 34, 39, 39 to 40. Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives, as he was accustomed to, and his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. The Bible narrates this account that Jesus went and prayed. But he came back, he found out that they had fallen asleep. He woke them up. Can you please pray for a little while? And he prayed for them. Now it talks about they had fallen asleep because of sorrow. It was a very challenging moment in their lives because they had given up everything to go and serve him, but now their master was going to be killed. They couldn't pray. And it happens sometimes that it's hard to pray when we are burdened by some difficulty. It just feels like um, what we are dealing with is so um, heavy. In Luke chapter 18, verse 1, then he spoke a parable to them, that man Always ought to pray and not to lose heart. We have to pray regardless of our challenges, challenging situations we are in. He went on to narrate the parable of a widow who wanted justice. So she went to a judge. And each day, you know, the judge ignored her or didn't give her, you know, the attention she needed. And she kept going and going and going until finally this lady said, the judge said, you know, if I don't, you know, give her justice, she's going to wear me out. I have to rule for her. And that's how he wants us to be, always persistent. Amen. Amen. It can be helpful. I find it's helpful when we pray for others. It may be difficult to get into a spirit of prayer. It just feels like um, you're going against a wall and so on. I've, you know, being overwhelmed by a big challenge. It could be, you know, sickness, you know, someone is in jail or a big financial burden, you know, loss of a loved one. You know, it's almost impossible to pray. But when I start praying for the needs of someone else, sometimes it's just almost a breakthrough. Just as Jesus prayed for his disciples, and not only for his disciples, but for the people his disciples would reach. And that would include us, the many people who would be born into his kingdom. We have to pray for other people. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Therefore I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and perseverance. In the During the time of the early church, they didn't live in a Christian society. They had kings, they had rulers, and who served pagan gods. So Christians didn't have any really rights. And the dominant religion um, was Judaism in the middle, in Israel, in Palestine. So it was not taken for granted that they had freedom to worship. And so it was important to pray, as Paul was writing. Pray for the leaders, authorities, that we may have peace and quiet. And we would go go on minding the business of God. And we have to pray for that. We have to pray for peace. We have to pray for freedom. The ability to worship freely. The ability to serve God freely to evangelize. Those things are not always a guarantee. That may also mean peace in our immediate environment. Peace with our neighbors, with our coworkers, our supervisors, and everybody else. We need to be able to get along with them, to, to, to have peace, to serve God. sometimes we can have you know just someone or something just so aggravating a neighbor or a neighbor's dog or you know it just gets on our nerves it i can't rest i can't settle down let's pray for peace let's pray for god to take care of that situation let's not take it into our own hands That's what Paul is asking us to be because we want to create a testimony. Even when things are going on well, we have to pray. We have to preemptively pray. Job, in chapter one, in the book of Job, it describes Job as a wealthy man. He had, you know, so much wealth, livestock children, everything. And it talks about how his children would have parties, feasts, as he put it. And verse 4, it says, And his sons would go and feast in their houses, each on his appointed day. And would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was when the day of feasting uh, ran their course that Job would send and sanctify them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings. According to the number of them, for Job said, I will, it, said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. That Job did regularly. He didn't know that if these children had done anything wrong. But he still went ahead. And prayed to God on their behalf. He offered offerings. Made sacrifices. He didn't wait. And at all times, we have to pray. And as we see the history of Job, eventually he was um, attacked by Satan. Um, serious illness. Lost you know, his family. Lost his goods um, for a long time. But he persisted on. He did not cast God. He did not give up right until the end, until God restored him. Could it be all the prayer that he had been praying ahead of time? God did not save him from the challenges, but gave him the strength to go through it. He gave him the power to overcome it. So prayer is central to victory. The word of God also tells us to flee from temptation. In In warfare, there are certain battles not worth fighting. Sometimes we just have to flee, run away. This is not a sign of weakness or cowardice, but of strength. We are urged to free from sin. Joseph was a young man who worked for a high-ranking official in Egypt. And the Bible talks about him. This official's wife attempted many times to seduce him, to get him involved in a sexual relationship. But he always resisted. He always resisted. Now, Joseph was a slave. And he could not simply quit his job. He could not simply move out of town. He had no choice but to work in that situation. And the Bible talks about one day when no one else was at home that she grabbed him by his garment and tried to force herself on him. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. He didn't wait to think. He didn't wait to negotiate, to reason, or in any way um, try to withstand that. It says he ran out. And the consequences were also very serious because... She accused him instead of attacking her. And he was jailed. He could easily have been executed because he didn't have rights. Um, it wasn't in a court of law. And there was no witness. But he spent time in jail. And, but he fled because he knew that it was a no-win situation. But God still blessed him. Because eventually he was able to accomplish his calling. God raised him up and he became a high-ranking person in that kingdom. And used him to save Egypt and to save many of the surrounding nations. Because through the wisdom and just the favor that God had in him, he was able to help them go through famine. But he fled. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14 to 15. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, judge for yourselves what I say. We are supposed to flee from idolatry. We don't worship idols in in the form of carved images of stone or metal today. But there are still many things that take our attention. There are still many activities that are like idols to us. It can be in the area of entertainment. It can be in the area of wealth, money. It can be in the area of popularity. We want to be ourselves to be worshiped. We want to be lifted up. We want to be celebrated. And it just says, flee, run away from that. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 to 11. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. For which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. He says the love of money. He doesn't say money is the root of evil. The love of. There are many good things we can do with money. Money. You can pay bills, buy groceries, use it to spread the gospel. But when it becomes a love, that's what becomes a problem. But he says, flee from these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith. It God says, run because your life depends on it. As he has said, many have strayed from the faith because of the greediness. The Bible also tells us that if anything causes us to sin, we have to give it up. In Matthew chapter 9, chapter 5, verse 29, if your right hand causes you to sin, Pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than that for your whole body to cast into hell. Amen. Amen. Basically, if it is something that is a hindrance, It by itself may not be a problem, but if in my situation it is a source of temptation and a source of sin, the best way is to give it up. It is better to lose, in Jesus' analogy, a hand than to lose my soul. It could be something of great value. It could be material possessions. It could be friends. It could be hobbies. If I can't keep away from something, it's better to give it up. Whatever is is keeping us from serving God is not worth having. An analogy that the Bible uses is that of an athlete running a race. Those who run a race always have to minimize any kind of weight, anything that will slow them down. Because winning is the most important thing. Even, say, the outfits they wear has to be light, and the designs have changed to make it lighter and more um, conducive to running the race. If the swimmers, the swimming outfits which have been created to make them swim faster, and we too are running a race, and we have to put aside anything that weighs us down, In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily ensnare us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Every weight that is slowing us down, let us leave it aside. looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. One of the instructions you are told when you board a plane is that in case of an emergency, leave all your property behind. Don't grab your luggage. It could be worth a lot of money it could be a musical instrument very precious it could be anything to so leave it behind is not worth your life it's not worth the lives of people around you mm-hmm. you just have to flee and we are competing in a race we cannot afford any distraction we are even a fraction of a second can mean the difference between winning and losing. There is a story about a city in Italy um, that was destroyed by volcano, volcanic ash. I believe the city was called Pompeii. And it came so suddenly, in a fraction of a second, that many people did not have time to react, and they were buried. Whole neighborhoods were buried. And after many years, um, archaeologists have gone back and excavated, and they found people either just in the moment of fleeing or just in the mo- doing what they would every day be doing. Because they were just the ashes, just like encased them and cut them, froze them in time. And one remain that was found was of a woman. And she was in the posture of running. But her face was turned behind. And just a couple of feet behind her was a necklace. She was running, but it appears that her necklace broke and she was trying to grab and reach for it. And there, right there, she was caught for history, that moment. Our relationship with God is not worth any material good. So we have to drop every unnecessary way. When I was in college, I worked in a cafeteria. And one day, it was morning, um, we had to go there early, there was a football game. We had a football team, didn't win many games, but... (laughs) And, but there was where they have the milk dispenser. There was no milk. So I asked the supervisor, said, "Where is the milk? You know, we need to set that up." And he told me, said, "No, we don't serve milk on game days um, when these athletes are playing. Apparently, it is." Had to digest, or um, it interferes with their performance. So I so said, we don't put it there at all. Eliminate it. If it's going to affect the game, don't put it in the cafeteria. I didn't know that. I've never heard of that ever since. But that's what, you know, he said. But that's what we have to do. Lest someone be tempted to drink a glass of milk, and we lose so we give it up altogether Genesis talks about Eve entering into a conversation with the serpent who was the most one of the most um deceptive of all God's creations and he you know talked to her said did God tell you that should not eat of every tree in the garden. And they got into the conversation and eventually she tempted him, her. A question that I've asked myself, why did she get into a conversation with the serpent? What was the need? Sometimes it's better not to get into a conversation at all. There is no... It's no much... We will be no match for his deception. We just have to flee. And I believe that if we get into a lifestyle of regular prayer, Bible study, if we drop every weight and burden that slows us down, we will be victorious in our Christian work. We will grow in him. We will accomplish what God has for us. there is a great calling and our music team can come up. There's a great calling that God has for each and every one of us. But we have to be ready to take it. We have to prepare ourselves for victory. And when we are ready, great things are going to happen. Amen? Amen. Amen? Amen. God bless everybody.